Welcome. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. And wow, we just completed three, four, maybe five weeks altogether of the Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards. Wow, that was quite the scene. It was really fun to go worldwide this year. And now we're kind of back to semi-normal, although our next guest, isn't that normal? I hope I am not uh, insulting you, Mr. Nick Elson, talking to us from Squamish, British Columbia. Welcome, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Oh, thank you. Um, and pardon my little joke there, but we're going to get into this in a minute. But you're known for doing the high, the hard, the technical routes. You're you're not the long distance hiker. Um, Again, we're going to talk about this, but you have been a voter on the fastest known time of year awards ever since your amazing, I think it was amazing, Grand Traverse. That's what the route is called. It's called the Grand Traverse, which means doing all the peaks in the cathedral range, I guess we could say, and next to them in the Grand Tetons of Wyoming. So I hope I described that right. The cathedral range is actually just tighter than that. The Grand Traverse goes all the way out to Ne per se, but that's fill us in on the Grand Traverse in case I just dis- described that awkwardly. Oh, well, I mean, I'll probably get it wrong too, but I think it's basically the traverse from Tiwanot to Ne per se um, over the cathedral. Yeah, it's the, the main peaks in the main part of the Tetons in, in Wyoming. So, yeah. I don't know. I that don't know you, the stats offhand, but I think it was about six and a half hours. But um, some technical climbing up to maybe five, seven or so, and um, quite a bit of elevation gain. Lots of third, fourth, low fifth class terrain, that sort of thing. Okay, you sound pretty casual about that, Nick. So I'm going to have to fill in the blanks here, talking about the Grand Traverse because I've done it myself. Mm-hmm. And wow, you, you kind of undersold that. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just, I'm sorry, but you know, the, the North Ridge, the Grand, this is no joke. And so you free selling the North Ridge of the Grand, like you said, five, seven, some people call it five, eight. And I think uh, you did that in 2016. And I think it was two years later, someone who'd done it three times before fell off. And when you fall off, you're going like 3000 feet down. He died, of course. And so it's this is a stiff route. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, it's within the realm of um, alpine climbing, I, I would say. It's certainly not a, not a trail run. Um, there's, yeah, lots of loose rock and exposure. And um, uh, there's a handful of pitches where it's, it's proper climbing, for sure. You're, you're free soloing. So, yeah, no, it's... Um, Sort of come. It's it's what appealed to me about that is it's it's one of these routes that requires some climbing skill and also a high high level of fitness, right? And so, sort of combining trail running with uh, alpine climbing, I guess. Well, six and a half hours again. I just <laughs> you're your classic climber, Nick. You're super low key here. You know, it's kind of sandbagging everything. I really appreciate that about you. So hopefully, listeners are reading between the lines here. Six and a half hours. So just for context, most people spend two full days, sometimes three, to climb the Grand Tetons. One day to get up to the lower saddle. You know, stay in the Exum Guide Quonset Hut or something. And then the next day to get up to the top, maybe come back, and the third day to come out. And you did 
I'm not sure how many summits these are, probably a dozen summits in six and a half hours. So that's uh, that's extremely stout. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, no, and it's, um, I mean, part of what um, kind of appealed to me about the Grand Traverse is it's got a long history of uh, people doing it uh, quickly, starting, I think, with Alex Lowe, who was obviously a legendary American climber. And then uh, following him was Rolando Garibaldi, who was... Uh, an extremely accomplished climber and incredibly fit. Um, and so I mostly just wanted to see like, Oh, can I even, you know, I, I honestly didn't think I would even be faster than Rolo. I just thought it was a, a cool, um, cool objective and a way to kind of, um, you know, worth trying, even if I wasn't going to be uh, faster than those guys, it's kind of cool to be a part of that history, I guess, basically. Well, you made history. That was 2016. And 2016 happened to be our inaugural Fastest Known Time of the Year Awards. So this is the sixth year. That was the first year. You were voted fifth that time. Congratulations. And I immediately emailed you and said, would you like to be a voter? And you've been voting ever since. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's a good excuse to kind of really dig in a little deeper into the details of some of the most interesting FKTs every year. So uh, when you're voting on it, you're sort of forced to um, kind of weigh um, each FKT against each other. And of course they're extremely different often. There's just such a wide spectrum. And so it's sort of good excuse to learn some of the stories and um, kind of read a little bit about what's behind um, some basically really fun adventures every year. So I've, I've really been, uh, enjoying being a voter. Great. Excellent. Well, you're informed uh, as most of the voters are. So now it's February. It's a wrap. So what do you think? We It's all done. And it's kind of, before we get back into your accomplishments and some advice you might have for other people, what do you think? So you, you, you know what happened here. You know the uh, the podium, as we say. It's kind of interesting to me. I'll, I'll start off by noting there's some famous trails here. There's you know, people, not a lot of obscure things. In the top 10 and on the nominations list, there were some interesting things. I had never heard of the Lara Pinta Trail in Australia, for example. I had never heard of actually Jason Hardrath's Washington Bulgars, for that matter. But, of course, Colorado Trail, Long Trail, Te Aurora, Grand Canyon Rim to Rim. You know, it's the famous trails. I added up the days and the top 10, the podium, which is five male and five female, came out to a total of 217 days and 20 hours. That means it's almost 22 days per route. So there's some long, long uh, efforts here. That's just my personal observation. What are your observations on the podium for 2021? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fair comment and I think I'm probably guilty of this too where there's it's easy to be biased towards the longer efforts, right? Because it's you, if someone does, you know, Pacific Crest Trail or something, it's just such a long time to be out there versus some, you know, a one day or even some of these FKTs are like hours, right? Um it's uh, it's easier to give greater weight to something that took longer. Um and I think there's a, there's a bit of a bias there, even if objectively, maybe the, the shorter FKT is more, could be more impressive. So I try, I try when I'm voting to, 
um, balance them somewhat equally, the shorter and the longer, and to look more objectively at what, first of all, I, I mean, I try to look at what athletically is uh, the most impressive, and then to look at some of the other factors like um, the originality or the style in which it was done, whether there's some element of creativity. And I think I, I think all the voters probably have some bias and, and my bias is probably towards more mountainous stuff. Um, and likewise, I think everyone has a little bit of bias towards things that they can understand. And so I, I think it was awesome that it was global this year. I think that's um, really great. Uh, the difficulty sometimes is, you know, I, I actually ended up voting for some of these FKTs in Australia and New Zealand and stuff, but I've never been there. I actually don't know really what these trails are like. So I, it's harder to say like, oh, well that, you know, that was clearly really fast. Um, if you haven't actually been there, you don't really know what the terrain is like. That, that makes it a bit more challenging. Um, but no, I thought all the, all the winners this, this year were certainly deserving. Um, yeah. Um, lots of really, really impressive uh, FKTs this year. I thought a few of the ones that maybe, didn't quite make it onto the podium. Uh, we're still really impressive. You know, I think Jason Hargrath with the uh, Washington Bulgers, I mean, to me, that's, um, you know, I, I'm a, again, I'm a little biased because I probably climbed a few of those peaks and have a pretty good idea of what's involved with that. Um, but to do, do all those peaks in 50 days is, uh, that's actually a lot of technical terrain to cover and just a like logistically and um, sort of creatively, it's it's a pretty impressive accomplishment. And I think it's it's something also that no one had really, like a lot of these FKTs is people knocking hours or even a few days off of these long trails, but to do something that had never been done um, in even a single season and to do it in, in a pr continuous push, like that's the kind of FKT that actually, um, I'm kind of inspired by, not that I'm going to go do that <laughs> anytime soon, but that kind of thing when someone can do something that, you know, maybe previously was done in weeks or, or years or whatever, and then do it in a completely different style. And, um, right. That's, that's pretty inspiring. That's a good point. Jason Hardrath and Sean O'Rourke are both in that category. Yeah. And Sean's Sean did another guy the, who's, who's right. done a lot of stuff. The Wyoming the Wyoming 13ers, this is nuts. You know, like you say, we all have our little personal biases, which is good. That's why we have voters from around the world, different ages, different genders. And I've been to the you know, Wyoming quite a few times. And, whoa, man, I think like two people had ever climbed all the Wyoming 13ers in a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was on that another, level. <laughs> yeah, that's another great example. And, and again, most, I think a lot of people probably can't really comprehend what's involved with something like that. Um, you know, and Sean's actually done quite a few pretty cool, impressive um, things like that. Again, combining kind of running and climbing kind of stuff. Um, he's he's someone who's maybe a little bit under the radar, but um, has done an impressive uh, number of FKTs on kind of technical terrain. So, Dr. Dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for your perspective on that. Appreciate that, Nick. I like the fact that you're studious and you take the time to learn about it and figure it out, which, of course, you had to do on your projects. So reeling back to those, I should mention, almost forgot, you were recommended. You know, so in case listeners are wondering, yes, someone 
uh, emailed us and said, you got to get Nick on. He's done this, this, and that. And I was like, what's up, man? This guy's insane. And so I said, yeah, I know, Nick. I'll, good idea. And so I want you to know, listening to you listeners, if I hate the idea, I'm not going to do it. But other than that, we definitely like to hear from you. Oh, awesome. That's a, Yeah. Well, we just talked about the Grand Traverse, where I attempted to convey how difficult it was when you were kind of unwilling to do it. Let's see how you fare on something that people have heard of, Half Dome, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I had an FKT on the Half Dome going up the backside, of course, going up the famous cables route, which nowadays requires a day permit. One of the first places in the United States to require a non-camping permit. Normally in the United States, you can do anything you want as long as you don't spend overnight. But now, just like Mount Whitney, you have to have a permit for day use. But you didn't go up the cables. You uh, Here's a little explanation. We have two variations, one the standard route up the cables, and then other one called any route up and down, which we can just call open course. You start at the bottom, go to the top, go back to the bottom, open course. But that means free soloing, snake dike. So tell us about this. Is this, are you going to call, you can't call this like, oh, it's a couple of pitches of technical. I mean, so tell us about this route. Well, so actually I didn't end up soloing Snake Dyke. Um, so the, the history I think is um, that all the previous FKTs, including yours, Buzz, were up and down the, the trail. Um, and then Dean Potter, uh, I think it was, 2015 or so, something like that. It was. He, mm-hmm. he um, set the fastest time up and down Half Dome bikes, taking a direct approach to Snake Dyke up a up a gully. That's not norm, not not the normal approach to Snake Dyke, but very direct. And then soloing Snake Dyke in his approach shoes, and then running down, um, and actually not going down the normal trail, but cutting from the bottom of the cables um, straight down the hillside. <laughs> Uh, basically back down to the trail and, and out. And so in 20, uh, would have been 2017, 18. I went, well, in 2017, I went to, to Yosemite and I, and I wanted to, um, to do half dome the way that Dean had done it. And I, I did solo snake dike actually. Um, but I just, just to check it out but I felt like I wasn't confident to try to do it quickly. Um, I certainly wasn't going to do it in approach shoes. Uh, I was quite slow. So it's only snake dike. And, and then, so I, I didn't actually attempt it in 2017. And then I came back in 2018 with my friend, Eric, and we climbed snake dike with a rope uh, a couple times. And I climbed up. You, and you, a, were you, were you head pointing it for a future solo attempt? Yeah. Well, I, I still thought that I was going to do it the way that Dean had done it. Um, and so I, you know, there's there's the crux of snake dike. I mean, it's only five, seven, it's not really very difficult, but it's a very slabby, um, traverse with no, basically there's no holds. It's, it's not steep, uh, but there's no positive holds. You're just smearing, um, on the rock and it's quite glassy. I mean, if you're not used to climbing in Yosemite, it's pretty slippery. And so you're, you're, you're referring to the first pitch, uh, second or third pitch. Third pitch. I Third. Think. Oh, the, oh, you're referring to the traverse left. The traverse left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's. The, I thought. I thought the first pitch was the hardest. Just going up past the just really off the ground. I thought under that was the, just under greasy. the roof there. The roof. Good. Going to the left of the roof, I thought it was just greasy. 
Yeah, and if you're soloing though, you can actually just go. You you actually don't go up under the roof. You can go just direct straight up the face to the and avoid the roof completely. And I, it's not protectable, but it's actually easier. Um, but then the traverse on the third pitch is is just pure slab climbing. Um, and I climbed up and down it a bunch of times with the rope, and you know it's not difficult, but when I thought about soloing it quickly, especially when you think that you're doing, I, I you know, you're going to do basically an all out vertical kilometer to get there. <laughs> you know, it's a very steep, you do about a vertical kilometer to get to the base of the route straight up and at, you know, uh, VO two max effort. <laughs> and then you're free soloing, um, this really insecure, like it's just, there's no positive holds. Um, so it's not the kind of thing that's fun to solo or at least for me, uh, I just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't um, feeling good about it. And so what I ended up doing was just going up and down the way that Dean went down. Um, so oh, less technical. Interesting. Yeah. So more direct than the trail. Uh, a little bit technical, a little bit scrambly here and there. But um, but basically, uh, yeah, I was uh, not confident to just a little snake neck. So I ended up changing my plan and going up and down. So in, in a way it was a failure uh, because I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do what I'd hoped to do and certainly wasn't able to follow in Dean's uh, footsteps there. But, um, but by going to be honest, like very few people could solo like snake dike is only a small percentage of the elevation gain on half dome. If you do it that way, but to do it as fast as Dean did you have to solo quite quickly. Like you can't be going really slowly and carefully or you're just going to be way too slow. And the only way for me to feel like I could solo safely was to kind of go slowly and carefully. And um, I knew that that was, you know, not going to, not going to be anywhere close to as fast as Dean did it. And so, um, yeah, I went the way that he descended. I went both up and down the way that he descended. And that for me was definitely the fastest route. Um, so, gotcha. Yeah. Very interesting description, Nick. I didn't understand that earlier. So thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> and you described something that I've noted for some time, which is free soloing isn't necessarily faster. I think for me, at least, and maybe for you as well, um, simul climbing is the fastest. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think it can be because you can you can feel more confident when you're simul climbing. Um I mean, the consequences of falling while simul climbing are really bad as well, often, um, or could potentially be really bad, depending. But at least it's not certain death, um, and so I think you can. M- maybe it's easier to be overconfident while simul climbing, anyway. Or you can climb. You can often climb quickly while simul climbing. But I think something like um, the half dome record, you're not going to be able to simul climb by the, by the time you you pull out the rope and um, the, carry the rope up there with a partner and tie in like you're, I still think no one will go faster than Dean Potter did um, by simul climbing would, would be my guess. I mean, that's not to say some, you know, if you're, if you can do the vertical right. play up to the base a little faster than him, then maybe you can, you can make up the time on the route. But I, I suspect his, you know, combination, he was all clearly insanely fit and, 
clearly he soloed Snake Dyke really quickly in approach use, which is kind of, I mean, he's someone who lived in Yosemite for, for many years and, and climbed Snake Dyke a million times. And I think he ba- probably climbed it and then base jumped off half dome all the time. So, um, yeah, super right. impressive anyway, but. Well, he was two hours, 17 minutes. You were 14 minutes faster. And I like that. It's a good point because once you carry a rope for simuling, you might be able to simul the route quicker than free soloing it, but then you got to schlep the gear and uh, deploy the rope and things like that. So thank you for the clarification there. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> pardon me, but I'm glad you didn't follow Dean Potter because mm-hmm. two weeks after his FKT and Half Dome was his tragic wingsuit accident. So it was just two weeks after he did the FKT. So, Nick, I appreciate your safety approach. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... I think the the good thing about free soloing is it's a well, maybe I'm getting old and um, soft or something in my old age, but I, I do think it's a little bit self limiting. Like when you think about, um, you know, I if I think about something that's scary, I just don't want to do it, <laughs> and so you know, it's I I I I don't have the you know I do have some drive to to do these sorts of things, but that's pretty quickly overpowered by fear when I, when I think about free soloing something that's, you know, scary. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a tough decision for me necessarily. <laughs> I want it to be fun. I want it to be like to feel good about it and ha- have it be enjoyable and fun and not totally stressful. So, yeah. Good to hear that. And I think it's really fun for other people to hear that because it, it gives an insight into what really is going on behind the scenes of someone like you who is, really very accomplished in the high mountains that it's supposed to be fun. And it's also about the feel. So climbing routes have a technical rating, a number, but correct me if I'm wrong. Basically it doesn't matter what the number is. If it feels good, you're going to tend to go. If it doesn't feel good, you're not going to go. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. Um, especially with climbing unroped because it's, it's really about how secure it feels. Um, and so it's, you know, if you're really strong, something that's, um, you know, not to say that I'm really strong at all, but it's, you know, a perfect hand crack, um, you know, maybe it's a harder grade, but you feel like you're really secure. You're never going to fall out no matter what happens. Whereas a friction slab where you're relying purely on friction, um, and there's no positive holds to, um, make you feel secure. It could be way harder to, to solo. Um, and likewise, things like loose rock. I mean, that's, uh, pretty common in the mountains. And so something that might be technically easy, but maybe it's really loose. I mean, that's just, uh, again, not going to be, it's going to be no fun to solo and, and obviously high risk. So, yeah. Right. Right. That's why free soloing reached such a high level in Yosemite with that incredible granite. There's not a lot of loose rock anywhere in Yosemite Valley. That granite is really bomber. Like you said earlier on, something I noticed the first time I went there, it's slippery. You know, I'm used to boulder, the sandstone mm-hmm. conglomerate has a certain natural grippiness to it. So a friction hold is kind of higher friction on that type of rock than it is in Yosemite Valley. Yeah, no, totally. I think it takes some getting used to climbing in Yosemite. And I mean, I live in Squamish, which is granite as well, and, and quite similar to Yosemite, but a little bit coarser, um, and I think a bit better friction in general. So, yeah. You have 11 FKTs on the website, Nick. I'm sure you've done hundreds of other things besides that we, that we don't know about. 
And all of them are kind of a little bit like this. And a lot of these, and I'm fairly knowledgeable, I have never heard of. Um, But one thing that the person who wrote in recommended you called out is Golden Hind, which was just this last uh, summer. Uh, Oops, two summers ago in August. So what can you tell us about that? Is that in the same standard of technical or what Um. is this? Actually, that's a little bit less technical. Um, so that's actually, I grew up in, um, in Campbell River on Vancouver Island, which is uh, not far from where I am here in Squamish. It's a pretty large island on the West Coast here. Uh, and actually has tons of really cool mountains um, that likely most people have never heard of. And the Golden Hines, the highest summit on Vancouver Island. Um, and I think the the easiest route is about fourth class. So it's just easy scrambling, um, some loose rock. It's, uh, not super technical, uh, but it's a long ways. And so it's a, it's the highest mountain on Vancouver Valley, but it's about, I think that to do it round trip is more than 50 kilometers and more than 5,000 meters of elevation gain. And mostly in the Alpine, it's actually an incredible mountain run, um, on traversing ridges and along lakes and then up to the summit and then have to reverse your route back um so it's yeah just an amazing uh day of mountain running basically um and something five thousand foot averts a lot yeah five thousand meters so i mean yeah yeah so it's yeah it's a solid a solid uh run and definitely highly i mean uh highly recommended if you're ever visiting vancouver highland there's there's actually incredible mountains there so and lots to do um all kinds of stuff that's off the beaten path uh, very worthwhile. Well, apparently so, because that's, like you said, that has basically the same amount of vert as the entire Western States 100 course. Yeah. And, well, and the actual summit of the Golden Hines, uh, the mountains on the island are not tall. So the actual summit is only a little over 2,000 meters above sea level. Um, so it's a lot of up and down. But. Gotcha. Well, going through this list of 11 FKTs, what uh, what got your attention the most? I mean, did you have something here where you went, oh, that was a big mistake or something? I just got out of that with my life. Or is there something here that you said, this was so good. I want to do this you know, every year of my life. I'm not that familiar with your remarkable list here, except for, of course, Grand Traverse and mm-hmm. Half Dome. So what, what would, um, and Mount Rainier. So what would you say about your own FKT list? Yeah, I think there's a few there um, near Squamish where I live. And I think they're all actually really um, cool objectives. So I think there's a couple there in the Tantalus range, which is just above Squamish. And that's um, actually before I did the Grand Traverse, That's I did a lot of um, training up in the Tantalus range and, and lots of uh, sort of alpine terrain very glaciated, um, much more so than most areas, probably in the lower 48, for example. So, um, but uh, yeah, so the, like the Tantalus Traverse is just, a, if you're in Squamish and you want to do a, an excellent Alpine Traverse, that's, uh, you know, hard, hard to beat in terms of um, traversing ridges and glaciated terrain and, and sort of low fifth class scrambling and that sort of thing. Um, the other one that's on there that I think I actually added is the traverse around Garibaldi Lake, which is again, uh, just above Squamish. 
It's something that was first done by Peter Croft uh, in, I think in the eighties sometime. And it's just a big uh, circumnavigation of a glacier fed lake, traversing a bunch of big glaciers and tagging a bunch of peaks um, and just feels fairly remote in spite of the fact that it's really pretty close to civilization. And, um, and I guess the other one that's, that's again, close to where I live here in Squamish is the Stein Valley Traverse. And that's a point to point trail run, basically um, not technical at all, but sort of rough trail and traversing through the Alpine. And I think that was about 95 kilometers point to point. And it's through, I think one of the largest unlogged watersheds on the coast um, and just very remote feeling like you're, you're basically trail running on a trail, a uh, very rough trail point to point for 95 kilometers. Um, I don't think I saw anyone else. Or I saw one other group the day that I did it. Um, so you're really out there in the middle of nowhere and, uh, yeah, very cool. Just like the, the, one of the really good things about the BC, uh, coast mountains where I live is it's pretty easy to get into very remote terrain that you know, it feels like real wilderness. There's no one around. There's big glaciers, the, um, you know, sort of. Well, it's my experience. It's all really remote terrain. Yeah, no, so. there's, there's lots, <laughs> yeah, lots of remote terrain. Uh, you get a real backcountry wilderness feel. And the possibilities are really endless. Like, it's stuff that no one's heard of. Um, like, even, I mean, the Tantalus Range is, like, pretty well known if you live in Squamish. But, um, you know. The Tanos range is probably just as cool as the Tetons, for example, but very few people mm. have, you know, would travel here to climb in the Tantalus range, whereas, uh, you know, places that are closer to large population centers um, obviously are much more popular, but. Wow, this is great. I kind of, I feel like a Gumby now talking with you because I indeed have been to the Tetons uh, 20 times. I've only been to Squamish once. Squamish Chief, the famous rock climbing mm -hmm outcrop there so but like you said you go two kilometers from the road you're gone <laughs> i mean that, that's it yeah. you're out of it it's remarkable yeah no and, the, and i mean the possibilities are sort of endless right like it as you go further north from here there's yeah i mean just big mountains and big glaciers and and no one around and you can pretty much um yeah i mean the potential for doing big long traverses along alpine ridges and I mean, it's pre pretty endless possibilities in both summer and winter. And then, of course, um, you know, in the Rockies and the Selkirks, the, the sort of the same thing exists as well. Um, pretty endless possibilities and, and not too many people. So, But in the Coast Range right there, it's wet. I mean, that's the, the mountains just crank and they're coming right out of Vancouver Sound and just mm -hmm. going right up. So anytime the west, you got a westerly flow, it, in the winter, it's snow. It's dumping a lot of snow. And so you have that, like you said, glaciated terrain. And mm -hmm. so you have that almost uh, alpine, that alpine in the sense of Europe look, which is higher precipitation than, in, say, the Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico Rockies. There really isn't that much precipitation. We kind of have glaciers, but it's sort of, a, um, a a stretch interpretation of the word glacier. It's more like permanent snowfields. Well, right there, you have glaciers, and they're much lower than you'll see them most places. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, it's good and bad that it's it. There's a lot of precipitation, so I mean, <laughs> when it's uh, yeah, it's, it 
there's um, downsides to that, obviously, but it there's great rainforest and great trails in town in the forest, and then a lot of snow in the mountains. So, yeah. A lot of snow. Well, folks, please go on the website, and you could, under athlete, click in Nick Elson, and you'll see his what he's been talking about here. And I had not heard of Stein Valley, Traverse of Garibaldi, or Mount Tantalus. So thanks, Nick. So if I ever go back up that way, with the Fastest Known Time website, we have a bucket list. Anytime you're visiting somewhere, you, you can just go there and find out the coolest routes in that area. You know, Strava has heat maps, which is very interesting because that shows you where everyone else is going. So I'm not sure if I really want to know where everyone else is going. <laughs> I'd rather know where people like you are going. So I, I, I appreciate you putting up these routes. Now, what thoughts might you have to someone listening to this saying, man, you know, I've been running. I kind of like the steeps. You know, I'd like to maybe you know, try things a little bit harder. Do you have any thoughts for them, Nick? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's tough, right? Like I was lucky in the sense that I sort of came to this stuff from a climbing background. Um, whereas if you're coming to it from a running background, I do think it's worth investing some time in the, cl- like the climbing side of things and, becoming technically proficient. Um, one thing that does like worry me a little bit is people um, think that the logical progression sometimes is from running to scrambling to climbing. Whereas I actually think sometimes it's good to learn the climbing skills with a rope and, you know, safely. And then because scrambling is often kind of like easy free soloing. Right. And so if, if you don't have that climbing background, you may not, um, you might not have the movement skills and some of the technical proficiency to climb safely unroped that uh, you'd gain from from just doing some climbing. So I think if you do want to do more technical uh, alpine stuff, it it is a it does require a bit of investment in in gaining the skills and uh, hopefully getting out with people who are more experienced. I mean, I was always lucky to have really good mentorship as when I was younger, getting out in the mountains. And I think that's uh, really, really helpful. And yeah, just um, not rushing things. Like I think some of the things that um, often make people good runners or good uh, endurance athletes, like just the desire to push through things and to have a lot of self-belief, you know, uh, sometimes those can get you into trouble in technical terrain because really you want to be, um, if you want to have a long and safe career doing this stuff, you want to be conservative and, um, you know, be willing to back off and, and, you know, listen to your, listen to how you feel about things and, and, um, take a conservative approach. Whereas if you, if you did that in say r- running hundred milers or something, you just DNF all the time. If you, if you, if you bailed every time it was hard or something, you know, but that's uh, a brilliant comparison. A yeah. Wow. I never thought of in those terms. That's excellent. Right. So if you're running a hundred, you could train, 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 train. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to be easy at all. And in fact, a well-known athlete, once said, it doesn't get any easier, you just get faster. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of effort and difficulty of running you know, a marathon, for that matter, it never gets easier. You just actually can do it faster. And so like you said, you're going to push through something. At 100, at some point, it's not going to, it's going to feel awful. You're going to ha- have to push through. But with technical climbing, do you really want to push through? 
Now, as you just suggested, if you have a rope and know how to use it, you have a partner who knows how to belay, definitely that's how you get to be a better climber. You learn the equipment and you take the fall, the rope catches you and you learn your limits. And that way, when you back it down to scrambling, you've already learned your limits in a safe situation. That's a, that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right. And um, yeah, just realizing that it's, uh, it's almost a different sport, right? And it's uh, something that takes time and patience like anything, right? It's, you, you're not going to um, become an elite distance runner overnight. And same thing, you're not going to become uh, experienced and competent in the mountains overnight either. So you got to build your experience slowly and, and build up to things. Yeah. Our bit of advice is push through the pain running your marathon. Don't push through your fear scrambling with exposure. Okay. It's a good takeaway. Nick, yeah, I think that's a good way to sum it up. That's good. <laughs> my, next, my last question as always is what's next? What do you think? And I, I come to think of it, you know, here it is February. Are you out skiing or uh, yeah. you go to Hawaii or what are you up to here? I, I've been skiing. Um, and yeah, probably what's next in the immediate future is ski stuff. Um, maybe a little ice climbing, but, um, yeah, lots of ski objectives, like even big traverses and um, ski mountaineering sort of stuff, and uh, a few ski mountaineering races uh, coming up here in Canada. I'll do some of those, and then from there, yeah, some hopefully some running races uh, this coming summer. I've, uh, yeah, it, it's hard, still a little difficult to plan things. The travel from Canada is not um, super easy right now, but ho- hopefully hopefully an international race or something this coming summer. And obviously lots of local FKT type projects, um, tons of mountains and ridge traverses and stuff I like to do and uh, stuff in the lower 48 actually that I um, would like to do as well. Actually, just before the the uh, COVID um, stuff, I was in California, tried to do the evolution traverse and bailed. So oh. that's on the, I feel like I should go back and try that again. Um, and maybe even there's actually a really cool traverse that was done this year. Um, it was basically a way bigger version of the evolution traverse. Um, Vitaly, um, did the Palisade Traverse into the Evolution Crest Traverse is a massive traverse. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know if I'll do that, but um, there's lots to do in the Sierra, s- stuff like that. So, yeah, there's so so much on the list, stuff in the Canadian Rockies, and, yeah, that's an endless list of cool cool things to do. <laughs> the Evolution Traverse, that's that's fantastic. It's got, uh, you know, mostly being up there, being fairly high, a lot of scrambling, with a couple that really is short, stiff pitches on that mm-hmm. one. Uh, but you go to the Canadian Rockies and it's like, wow, you don't get out of the car without wearing a hard hat. It's a little bit different. You know, though, that Permian age so-called rock in the Canadian Rockies is kind of gets my attention. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But lots of cool peaks as well there. And yeah. Yeah. Lots to do. So. Okay. Now, when you say skiing, are you going to wait for it to corn up, to settle down and firm up in April, May? Or does that mean you go out in the middle of winter? I mean, skiing a lot right now, um, but for longer traverses or things where you need to, to, where you want to move efficiently, it's generally better in the spring. Um, yeah, once you have a more of a spring snowpack, you get uh, melt freeze and, and firm snow in the mornings, especially, then you can move quickly. 
so that's best for for big traverses and that kind of thing and and in terms of stability it's also best although we're lucky i think our snowpack is generally a lot um just as a generalization uh the snowpack we're on the coast here is more stable than for example the, the snowpack in colorado so we can still get out in the alpine in midwinter here when conditions are good that's because it's heavy and wet yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sorry, just, it's just saying. It's often good. It's often very good still. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's deeper, but and more stable usually. Yeah, right. It's a it's a it's a good trade off. I, I appreciate yeah. this. We could look at it from either side of the spectrum here. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Well, you were born and raised in BC, so yeah, it's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, terrific. <laughs> Nick, I hope we see number 12 here. Hope I see your name coming in sometime in this next year. And I love your attitude. You're getting after it. You're doing really fun things. You've, you've found this lovely way of doing things, these high ridge traverses. And I really appreciate you feeling it out, staying safe, and only going for it when it uh, feels right. Oh, well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Take care, and I look forward to talking with you again. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, great to chat. <laughs>